I'm here today with Jim Gavio, who's the director of the Yon Planetarium at Penn State Barron. Um, and we're here to talk a little bit about, it's the, we're celebrating the 50th anniversary of the first moon landing in 1969. Um, but before we get to that, just Jim, if you could tell me a little bit about yourself, how you got interested in space, what, what brought you to this position here at the planetarium? Well, I don't know how everything got started way back, but I suppose like a lot of kids, you know, we had a telescope at home. And I do rem vaguely, I was really young, but I vaguely remember seeing the rockets um, launching to the moon. Um, and, you know, we would visit the Erie Planetarium, which I eventually ended up working at. And so um, I, I actually went to school to be a science teacher to teach Earth and Space Science. So I got my degree in, in education. But starting in 1997, I started working at, at the Erie Planetarium, which is now the Yon Planetarium here at Penn State Barron. And so um, I've just been doing that since 1997. Mm -hmm. um, and with the 50th anniversary of the Apollo 11 landing, um, take, it's 50 years ago now. If you can, take us back a little bit to why that moment was so extraordinary. I, I, we just watched the special presentation you have going on here at the planetarium, and the, there seemed to be sort of a perfect storm of so many different things, the politics of the moment, the science of the moment, the wonder of it. Um, talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah, I guess uh, there was maybe a perfect storm in some sense because the capabilities were just coming about after World War II and... and Werner von Braun starting, you know, helping helping out the United States and um, and the Soviets having their help and everyone just kind of wanting to, I guess, be the the dominant power and maybe this was one way to show it and to to branch out and to you know have the best technology and to to make it into space and maybe own space so to speak um, and so uh, it was it was a time when when we were trying to achieve that, but I know a lot of scientists and um, maybe astronomers and, and engineers that worked on on the uh, Apollo program were probably just, I mean, for them, I'm sure it was good for other reasons, Yes. and they were able to achieve uh, certain uh, spectacular things that we never thought would be possible. And, of course, today now we see uh, the fruits of that with a lot of the technology we have today because they had to make things smaller, they had to make things faster, make things a little bit better, uh, the early computers, things like that, and with some of the equipment that they had to use, they had to come up with better ways of doing things, and so we're still seeing that today. The technology really had a legacy, I mean, they had this task of projecting these human beings with heavy metals and fuel. <laughs> very far distances and yeah. I can't even imagine all the calculations that have to go into right. that, that moment right. and, and you're saying we're still benefiting from the work that was done yeah, we learned to figure so those things out yeah. and, and I was reading the things collected on the moon and stuff helped us understand even things about the history of the universe and things like that too is that well as that far as um, like maybe our own earth mm -hmm. um, you know we didn't know really much about the moon but we found out that, uh, and that, you know, we think today that this object hit the Earth and it helped to create the moon. And um, so we, we, we found out what the moon was made of and maybe a little bit more about the interior of the moon. And um, so all of that stuff uh, really helped us uh, to learn a little bit more. And also um, the craters on the moon. Um, people thought for a long time that, oh, we don't get 
craters on the Earth like we do on the Moon, but no, we see craters all over the place on the Earth. Not as much, of course, because of erosion and, uh, and the processes on Earth, the geologic processes, and of course it erases all of that, but the Moon has kept all of that. Um, but we do see that the Earth has been bombarded by uh, meteorites in the past, um, and so it's kind of just putting the puzzle all together. Mm -hmm. I was reading about that, that it's sort of a static record of, of those hits and what have you, whereas the Earth's surface tends to regenerate and, and remove some of that evidence, so right. that the moon is helpful that way as far as researching that history. Right, yeah, so yeah, it's frozen in time so we can see mm -hmm. what has happened over the years, and you can, you can look at the moon, uh, some, of the, some of the smaller craters or the larger craters, and you can tell which ones happened first, and which, which came second, which came third, and see what happened over time. Mm -hmm. So, and we again referring back to the presentation we just saw, it, it did go from the manned space flights and um, the landings uh, on the moon to then the years that followed where we weren't, we were just sort of doing the things at the space station and in orbit and not landing on places and exploring in the way that they did with the moon missions. But now we're talking about going back. Um, and. I understand, you know, President Trump has speeded up, that that has been a priority for earlier presidents, but he speeded up the deadline. Can you talk to me about your thoughts about that we may return and actually set foot on those surfaces again, and including Mars, what that could mean? My short answer to that, to that is, it's about time. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, right, yeah, in the uh, early 2000s, uh, NASA was told to have the, it was Earth, Moon, Mars uh, focus, uh, so there's a lot of studies, you know, with satellites even on the Earth, uh, around the Earth, um, and then go to the Moon, and then go to Mars. Uh, then it was kind of changed a little bit um, in the mid-2000s or so, you know, with change of administration, like you pointed out, um, to forget the Moon and go to an asteroid. And there were, there were a lot of people in NASA who thought that was the better way to go, go to an asteroid and then go to Mars. But now the focus is back on the Moon, which I'm very happy about um, because now we know that the moon is not dead and there is uh, there are resources there that we can use there is water there's ice there there's um, the different minerals there um, that we can use and so it makes it so much better so much easier and I think that the moon is a good stepping stone for then going to Mars what we learn from that and that's what NASA is pushing. It's a proving ground. They're calling it a proving ground. What we learn from going back to the moon and living on the moon for short periods of time, we can certainly take that knowledge and go off to Mars. And what would be what would be the value in in staying in those places or going to Mars? Is it is it just a new place to set up shop or there there's science to be done there or there's resources to be called from those surfaces? What yeah, I think it's a little bit of all of that. I mean, mm -hmm. certainly some resources, but also, I mean, I think the curiosity of people. I mean, no matter what, mm -hmm. we can we can say that we might need to do this or, you know, uh, whatever. But I think no matter what, and it's always been throughout human history, people want to explore. Yes. So even, even at the very least, if we take all the science out of it or everything else out of it, people are going to want to explore, and I don't think we're going to be able to stop it. Mm -hmm. um, but, yes, there's science that can be done, um, just as there's science being done on the space station right now. And, um, and that's been for about 20 years now. So, um, so we can certainly, we have science reasons for those 
missions as well. Mm-hmm. So we've had these modules, and I'm not going to use the right terminology, you know, exploring far out into the reaches of space and that sort of thing. If we have the money, do we have the technology to sort of, you know, and we've learned a lot having people at the space station that about what the human body can withstand in space and that sort of thing. Do we have the technology, if we had the money to create the vessels and the living spaces and that sort of thing to just, you know, get to Mars, or are we still a ways from that yet? Some people say yes, and some people say no. Yeah. So I think we're somewhere in between. Um, I think once we do make that leap again and get out and actually live, in on, a, live on a different uh, object like the moon, I think we will find out what we need to, where we need to improve and mm-hmm. what we're okay with. I think that, I think we will figure that out. Right, we've been living in space now for 20 years on the space station constantly, and so we're learning a lot, definitely learning a lot there. But I think getting to another destination further away from the Earth and living there for short periods of time will tell us a lot. Mm-hmm. So I, re- I, I think that will answer the question once we get there. What are the bounds of what's possible right now? I mean, is it distance? Is it, is it temperature and atmosphere? Those sorts of questions, or well, radiation all of it. is a problem. Okay. Um, out in space, you're not protected by the atmosphere of the Earth anymore, so that's definitely an issue. Um, there is time, you know, the the psychological effects. Um, but now there again on the space station, people have been living usually usually about six months at a time. Uh, but of course, we had the one-year study um, with a couple astronaut, one cosmonaut, and one astronaut on the space station, and they do they do start to really miss home. Mm-hmm. A year, in my opinion, really did seem to push the limit. So it's going to be longer than that if they go to Mars. So that's another reason I think the Moon is a good idea for now. Mm-hmm. Um, it's far enough away; we can we can learn a lot, but it's not that far that they can't come home in a reasonable amount of time. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't help but think watching that presentation how fascinating it would be, but really they're very forbidding looking environments. It's sort yeah. of, the earth is a much more pleasant place to gaze out upon in most places anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and what did they say the astronaut, well, Buzz Aldrin called yes. it magnific- magnificent desolation. desolation, and then you look at, at the earth and they said it was like a little oasis in space. Yeah. And so uh, it really does seem like we are in this little tiny oasis, this little dot, and it seems like nothing much out there <laughs> compared to what we're Quite used like to it. here. like it, yeah. yeah. Um, so who knows, maybe we will one day find out that we're the only living thing, maybe the only living things on it on another world, maybe we're it. It is the question, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it's something when you even just now looking at a planetarium with the galaxy and then the other one just visible off to the side and two among many, many, correct? Mm-hmm. Um, yep. So the possibility seems like it would be there, but yeah, no for, evidence yet. Right. For I just read something recently where they said, well, maybe it's not as likely as we think, even though for many years we've been telling everybody, well, there's so many galaxies out there and so many planets, so many stars that the chances are, the odds are, that there's got to be some life out there somewhere. But I just read something recently where they're like, mm, not necessarily, oh. you know, because of the odds of what you need yeah. uh, for life to exist. It's just 
hard to get those factors, I guess, there all together. Hmm. Who knows? And that I, I, I did have a question: if if with with all the discussion of global warming and climate change and that sort of thing, if if you think that lends an urgency to this exploration, is that part of why it's being kicked up a notch? Some people say that that that, uh, that we need to do this for that reason. But, I mean, I, I think, I mean, if people want to use that as a reason to go, I'm fine. Hey, go, mm-hmm. let's go, let's go. I just want to go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. whatever the reason. But I think, in my opinion anyway, living on Earth with global warming and some of the extremes, if we get strong storms or whatever, cold temperatures or hot temperatures, whatever the case might be, I think, I, I think I'm correct on this, that it would still be better than living on Mars I mean, or living <laughs> right. on the moon. I mean, it's still going to be more hospitable, yeah. I think, than living on another world that doesn't even barely have an atmosphere. But So coming back to Earth, even with crazy weather, might be great. If people are interested in learning more about space and that sort of thing, what, what kinds of programs or projects or do you offer here that they can take advantage of or... Well, we um, just from the public point of view, we have our public programs uh, every Thursday and Saturday that people can come in and just see whatever's playing. Or if uh, if you have a group, you know, we have scout groups that come here. Um, other groups it could be just a group of people from a, a from your work, and they just want to have a, a party at the planetarium or have mm. a get together at the planetarium and see a program. Um, anniversaries, whatever, uh, people that just are interested and want to hmm. see something. and uh, uh, But, you know, Scouts is a big one, too, because they have certain requirements that they have to meet, and so we can do some of those here at the planetarium. But, yeah, anytime that there is a specific interest in somewhere in the astronomy, space exploration world, so mm-hmm. to speak, um, you know, we can always help people out. Or if you have a telescope, maybe, that you need help with, we can also offer help in that area. Do you ever do outings, like outdoor things where people can do some stargazing or anything like that where you can help them know what the, what the heck they're looking at? Yeah, occasionally. Uh, last summer, specifically, we did a bunch of those uh, where we were looking at the planets because there were a lot of good planets to look at um, last summer. This this year, it uh, looks like Jupiter and Saturn are the two big mm-hmm. ones. Um, but we had, we had a few more to look at last summer, mm-hmm. and so we offered a few evening events that we were doing that here on campus. Mm-hmm. And we're in your office here, and I see there's there's lots of pictures um, on the wall of different astronauts, and, and, and you're actually friends with the man who's been on the space station and spent a lot of time in space, and you've been able to bring him here for presentations, if you could talk mm-hmm. about that a little bit. Uh, yeah, Mike Fink, astronaut Mike Fink, he's, uh, um, I don't know, I've known him now, I guess, I guess about 20 years, and uh, so it was before he actually flew for the first time. It, just a little funny story, I guess, at that time, because he had not gone up to space yet. People always would say, oh, yeah, has he gone up to space yet? And I would say, no, not yet. And, okay, whatever. <laughs> Nobody cared. <laughs> but ever since he's been up, you know, he's been around the world, and he speaks to different groups all over the place. And um, now he's working with the commercial crew program, which is Boeing and SpaceX, uh, because NASA overlaps with them. Um, and that's, you know, getting them really... Um, going and they're Boeing and SpaceX are going to help us get astronauts to the space station on a regular basis so we'll be able to launch our own our own astronauts now instead of um, using Russia for that um, and paying them a lot of money for that um, 
but Mike, yeah, he's he's been up to the space station three times, uh, two times to live for six months at a time, and another short visit on the second to the last space shuttle. That was in 2011, so that was a shorter visit, just a couple of weeks. And um, he's been really nice to us, and he's uh, taken stuff up to space for us. He's talked to kids here at the planetarium for us while he's living in space, um, uh, invited us down for launches. Uh, so he's just been a really good, good friend. And um, you do have a special presentation running right now at the planetarium that looks at the space race and some of the things that float out of, float out of it. Um, and that program, you think, will continue at least through July? Yeah, uh, definitely for July. And um, unless we find anything better, I think we'll we'll continue. We'll do something related to mm -hmm. the moon. So if it's another program, it'll most likely be something to do with the moon. Mm -hmm. If not, we'll just continue this program here. Mm -hmm. You can always check our website to see what's currently playing or give us a call, which is probably even better just to make sure that um, everything is what you think it might be. You know. Is there anything else that I didn't ask you about this very important anniversary that comes to mind when... Well, a couple months ago I did a talk on Apollo 11 and the, the new Artemis program, it's called, coming up. Artemis, I think, was the sister of Apollo. Hmm. And so um, so the new program where we're sending people back to the moon here shortly is uh, called Artemis. Um, but someone said, don't forget all the other Apollo missions. I mean, so there were other, there were 12 people that, yes. that went. And, That's right. Um, Apollo 11 gets a lot of the publicity, but uh, there are other missions you know, other people that have gone. Um, so we don't want to forget them, but I think we'll hear a little bit, not as much, but we'll hear a little bit about those anniversaries as they come up also. Mm -hmm. But it might only be people in our world that hear that uh, because we, we we heard all about the Apollo 8 uh, mission around the moon when that one happened, but I don't think it really got out there too much. Um, with Through your connection with people you know there, uh, do you think they'll be able to meet the deadlines that the president has set? Is it... It's, Are things it's, it moving? It's moving fast. I know they're really pushing hard behind the scenes to, to keep things going. I'm sure the pressure's on. Um, as long as we're safe, yeah. I hope we can meet the, the deadlines, but um, typically we don't. <laughs> so if we're saying five years, then okay, <laughs> if it's going to be six, maybe we'll give them seven, but let's stick with six maybe. Um, I mean, I always expect it to go behind a little bit, so... Most likely it will, but let's hope. I mean, they're saying within five years, so maybe maybe behind the scenes they're shooting for four. I don't know. Um, but uh, and I haven't ha asked Mike about that. Uh, and things ch are changing just so fast. I mean, I, I was preparing a talk to do a few months ago, mm -hmm. and then as soon as I prepared that talk, I'm looking like, wait a minute, things are changing already. And yeah. they, they changed the date, and they changed this, and they cut out this and they added that and like, whoa. So I really have to keep up on that. Yeah. But um so let's hope. Let's hope it's five years. If it's six then okay. I guess we waited fifty so or almost fifty because nineteen seventy two was the last year. But um I, I guess we'll give them another five or six. It'll be exciting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah and, and we don't have to wait totally the good the good news is we don't have to wait totally five years before somebody actually goes and lands back on the moon because there's going to be other exciting, there will be other exciting things happening in the meantime. Um, the the new rocket mm -hmm. that's going to be used, the SLS, 
Um, we'll be going around the moon. Let's hope that's 2020. It'll be unmanned. Really? That quickly? Okay. Yeah, unmanned, just you know, to test out all the systems and mm -hmm. everything. It'll go around the moon and come back. And then um, after that, then I think we're cleared. I had the timeline, but the timeline keeps changing. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's an exciting thing, too, that some smaller companies, some smaller robotic companies that were, um, they, well, I guess we won't get into it too much now, but NASA has latched onto them and said, hey, if you can send um, a rover to the moon for us and check out this area that we want to get a closer look at, um, you know, you'll get a contract. And so they're giving contracts to these people. Uh, one of them is in Pittsburgh. That was when you said robotics. I wondered that. Yeah, $80 million, I think, they gave this, um, this team. And this team, I first heard about a few years back, and I thought, you know, they're really good. Um, but Car Carnegie Mellon mm -hmm. Robotics is um, pretty mm -hmm. good. So, um, but the the name of the company is Astrobotics. Hmm. And um, anyway, so they got a contract with NASA. I think it was eighty million dollars. And so all these smaller companies that had just kind of started out as a ragtag group of people, and they're coming up with all these different landers and rovers that can be sent to the moon. Now NASA is connecting with them, and so there's a lot going on. A lot will be going on before we. Get the actual landing of people mm -hmm. and our technological capacities would seem to be just so far down the road compared to where we were in 1960 what you know yeah. well um, yeah and that was in the program too yeah we just have to get the will to go yeah and be willing to take a few risks mm -hmm. so hopefully we do as long as we're careful and I would think the communication capacities will be so much greater too now you know instead of these really hazy black and white images I bet for those of us still sitting here on earth watching this we'll be able to see it more in real time and appreciate yeah. what's happening it was amazing it, even what they did back then yeah. so it yeah. ought to be pretty good now yeah alright well I really thank you for taking the time to talk about this and 